It's time to clip your last good piece and dig in because the runout starts now. I went climbing at a secret area recently. Are you allowed to tell me about it or do you have to kill me? No, I'm not going to tell you. There's a there's a complete and utter embargo on information okay. about this about this place. Mm. That is I'll say is in somewhere in the United States. Okay. And that's it. That's it sounds so good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but we were we were continually joking about it like blowing it up, you know, because we actually it was out in the woods, but it had cell service. See, I'm already giving away too much. That, that's going to help people find it just there. But then I thought like, you know, because there's the whole thing where you post a picture of somewhere, but you don't say where it is or mm. you say you were in this secret place. It's titillating. Yeah. And I, and, I, and I just started to think about how like even me talking to you right now publicly about the fact that I went to a secret area is this weird brag. Because yes. Because I am so deep in the climbing community mm-hmm. that I get to go to these places and the rest of you people can just suck it. I, I just yeah, even I, saying I went there is this like thing. I feel that. I feel jealous. Mm-hmm. I feel envious. I Where feel is it? yeah. How good was it? I, I want to be close to you. I uh-huh. wanna I wanna know you better. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean it's seriously You're though, like this like, man of mystery. Because I I was at a different climbing area, I most said where it was just now and that would have been too much i was at a different more we can popular edit it climbing out. area in the same general vicinity and these people asked me or asked us where we had been climbing and i said i can't tell you and they were like "Ooh, exactly who are you it, right and it was i mean i don't know if that's what they're thinking but in my head actually they were probably just like what a dick <laughs> <laughs> don't be a dick bro yeah, that's but I was just like, oh, I'm just so cool because you all have to like scrub around at this old beat out crag while I was somewhere fresh and pristine because of my connections here among the the locals. So yeah, it was all like this weird thing where I got like this brag caught up in this thing. But I mean, what else was I supposed to tell them if they said, "Where did you climb?" I was like, "I can't tell you." Yeah, yeah, I, I would have to kill you. If yeah, I told exactly. You. I mean, that was the joke, but. But then they were like, ha-ha, and I was like, no, seriously. <laughs> um, why can't you tell people where you were Because calling? it's not mine. Well, it's not anyone's. I know, but I just respect the people who asked me not to. Yeah. You know? And and it's like me showing up at a cliff probably scares everybody because they're like, oh, there's Big Mouth Caloose, this yeah. fucking two-podcast guy. Yeah, so I'm like... I get that, too. Yeah. N- like, nothing. oh, the media's here. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So I got, I'm nothing. It's, it, you don't even know which state it was in. Wow. Yeah. Um, I know you're bad at keeping secrets though, so. <laughs> I have never had any problem really with word of mouth among your friends kind of thing. Like I'm not, you know, obviously I've told you where it was and everything else and maybe we'll go there sometime. And that's how a climbing area does proliferate. But, but yeah, I mean, it's a tricky thing when you have these people for whom it, the secret is important to them, mm-hmm. you know, whether that's based in, you know, actual worry or not, it's not up to me, you know, they're being paranoid or whatever. So, um, so yeah, it's just kind of interesting, but then it just, 
it like extrapolated into me thinking about social media and like what it's for and and you know particularly the way climbers sort of operate on on Instagram and what constitutes like too much spray versus like enough you know we even met a person for whom like spray was so toxic that we thought that he actually had sort of some mental problems yeah <laughs> <laughs> so, if not, you yeah. can read the Evening Sense post. Yeah, yeah. I think it was yeah, in the Evening Sense post. But yeah, so we, you know, I just started thinking about like what are the kind of posts that make me like go cool or versus like, oh, shut the fuck up. You know, you're just bragging or or that kind of thing. And and whether there is like a line that's personal to everybody or is there like a, are there some rules of thumb about how to like spray online? Well, before we get into spray, I just want to say that Usually, if you're the person who the locals feel okay with taking to their secret spot, that usually is basically like some kind of insult because (laughs) they assume that you're just like insignificant enough (laughs) to not (laughs) blow up their shit. Um, Well, I was along with a person. So it was like, and that's how it happens, right? right? Your buddy you trust brings some guy like me. Who's not in the in the you know who's not in the inner circle right. and like is gonna is gonna go rogue and start posting shit the loud mouth with two podcasts who's gonna blow it up exactly yeah. yeah and so it's like you know that's why everybody's like uh oh <laughs> there's that guy <laughs> I wasn't actually specifically invited to the cliff someone I was with was invited yeah and that person you were with they are the loser basically. <laughs> Well, that person has no media presence whatsoever, so they're a safe bet. But I'm not even going to say who that was. Yeah. And if you did, they wouldn't know. Yeah, they wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah. The the question of spray is an interesting one, though. Um, it's certainly one that I think everyone has to grapple with as they try to you know, be part of the climbing community. Mm-hmm. It's like, if you want to be part of the climbing community now, you have to like talk about yourself. And it often takes place in like the social media sphere, of course, mm-hmm. you know, whether you sent a route or didn't send a route or what, what your struggles, you know, were on a route. It's like all part of this like new weird way of talking about climbing. Right. That, um, yeah, I don't know if anyone's like figured out the, the correct balance to do it without the kind of face palmy stuff that makes people grimace or just have like a weird kind of negative impression of you you know even if they might respect you or want to be your friend otherwise right. there's like a little hint twinge of you know just sort of remorse or just like embarrassment on your behalf yeah well and it's funny because within a group of climbers a, a cohort like here that we have in this valley we know who the person is that we all sort of consider the the spray lord mm-hmm. you know and every community sort of has the hierarchy of like they never talk about it and okay here comes so and so and we're about to hear about all the shit they sent right you know and it's funny because social media is sort of the same way like in all my accounts i definitely have some sort of earmarked as like okay when i open that one i'm gonna like it's gonna be cringeworthy and, and if you think about it it's like I mean, maybe it's not the same, but to me, like if you were, you know, if there was a group of climbers sort of standing around talking about whatever and a climber just walked in and the first thing they said was like, I just sent 
blah, blah, blah. Like, that's just like bad etiquette anyway. Well, to be clear, there are people who are like that in real life. Yes. Like, they exist. Yes. And they are very annoying. Right. That's my point. Yeah. But but it seems to be okay in social media. Yeah. That your, your, your IG is like the one that pops on my feed and I'm just yeah. like, okay, here we go. What yeah. happened? What'd you do? Sick. Well, it is, yeah, I think that's an interesting distinction because you kind of become that annoying person who's brash enough to do that in real life or IRL, mm-hmm. as they say in social media. <laughs> <laughs> but like on social media, it's like, that's kind of like the the currency of the of the platform is to to be able to talk about yourself in a flattering way. Yeah, but in the the thing that I've been thinking about is what is the spice? What is the mm. the because you know certain people I follow and know in real life for some reason it's oh, the way they do it or who they are it's okay. Mm. And Another person or thing I follow could pretty much do the exact same feat and put post about it, and I would just be like, "Oh God!" I mean, like, look at look at uh, you know Sean Villanueva Driscoll, right? Mm. He came on as soon as he got done with that traverse and was like, "Hey, look what I did!" Yeah. And for some reason, I was just like, "Yes, I love you. You're amazing." <laughs> and then somebody else comes on and goes, "Look what I did!" And I'm like, "You're an idiot!" Like. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like the same kind of thing, but yeah. there's like a there's like a a special flavor mm-hmm. or spice that for me allows me to to accept one as just fine. Like so it's interesting because what I you know, I started to think about this again, a, a, you know, comparing two posts relatively about the same actual real life thing and what makes one in my head acceptable and one not. And it started in my mind. And this is like, you know, sort of contrary to what we normally say is that it's actually sort of an art form. And if Spray. You, yeah. And if you think about art, not as an art form as, as, as like it's, it's perfect or it's great, but like, you know, what goes into crafting it and what makes, you know, it's just like, a, it's just like poetry. Like, what makes a poem appeal to one person and not to another is this ephemeral thing that you can't always define. And why we decided that... I know, like my poetry with an A-B-A-A-C-A-B-B right. rhyme structure. Yeah, me too. But except for... I like the B-C-B at the end. Okay. But anyhow, but you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> It's like... It, we're really talking about the same kind of shit. Because I mean, I, I, there's poetry that's supposedly great that I think is garbage, <laughs> you know. And there's stuff that I think is, is, you know, that's not necessarily elevated. But in every, you know, if, if you read poetry or even just any writing, even prose, you can have something that moved you that nobody thinks is great, mm-hmm. except for you, you know. And and but but we all do end up agreeing on some great pieces of art. And I think it's the same with social media, like. There's certain people who, you know, I think that climbers can agree on is like this person is is who we all follow. I mean, the numbers show that. Right. But it's it's I mean, I just kind of started to think about like, well, what what turn of phrase is in there? How is it that they 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 milked it just enough, you know, self-deprecation to get me on board? Or is it too in your face and too stupid and too too much, you know? 
it's just like it's just like poetry. It's just like art. So I'm I'm going on record right here that Instagram, Instagram captions, captions are, are poetry. poetry. <laughs> uh, and this was the last episode of the runout, folks. <laughs> Respect is earned. Yeah, like right. it is, I mean, that's what I think what it comes down to. Right. You know, you can't just demand that people respect you. And the person who demands the respect is is the person who's doing the cringeworthy right. face-palmy post about themselves. And yeah, I don't know what the exact concoction of personality traits and language around their social media or language in real life or whatever it is like the way that they talk about themselves and their just general demeanor and all those things kind of come together in this like weird you know little uh cocktail that it either makes it a drinkable enjoyable cocktail or just something that's really terrible and annoying i mean i would say that a lot of times some sort of humility and like mm. a bit of self-deprecation is important to me. But then I think about, you know, the classic, which is kind of a modern concept or a modern phrase, the humble brag. Right. Because the humble brag can get annoying as well, you know, when you're just like, oh, yeah, it was no big deal. Or I, it, So sometimes like that can also like get annoying. So there's no like cut and dry set thing that makes it work is is my point. Yeah. And I think the interesting thing, too, is that there is this, like, what I call, like, the affirmation league. For some people, there's no amount of too much spray. And and I think, in particular, I think that it's, you know, and we're two guys talking about this, but I think for a lot of women climbers, they can't go over the top. Like, their followers will accept it no matter what. Mm. Because it's this kind of, like, you are, like, battling your way through this sort of man's world. Right. And so everything you do is sort of this blow against the patriarchy. So, you know, like the kind of you go girl kind of thing. And and I find it in myself. I'm much more sort of accepting of like just a flat out, look what I did post from a lot of the women climbers that I follow, you know, like Babsy and people like that, where a similar post from a dude, I'm just like, guy, shut up. So, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know how that relates in this whole thing. <laughs> like, yeah, I think that's an interesting point. I hadn't considered that, but that, I think that's true that there's a, di- a distinct uh, difference, you know, in the way that men and women respond to each other's, mm-hmm. you know, statements of congratulations about themselves. You know, I, I think that women probably can't not be similarly enthusiastic about their fellow females mm-hmm. when they do something great, but they may in private, you know, not... <laughs> Or just like have reservations or just like kind of roll their eyes or whatever the right. spectrum is of being like, oh, whatever, this person's just being that annoying person. Men, I think, are probably more likely to openly openly yeah. detest <laughs> each other. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's probably true. Yeah, that's really interesting. I yeah. think it is, too. I think I think spray is sexist. <laughs> spray is a is, is a sexist place where in in this case where men are are are, are like unfairly ruined for their spray <laughs> well you know there's clearly like yeah like the annoying guy is like much more easy to call out mm-hmm. i think yeah that's for that's for well, that's sure true. yeah because you know we're in this era where with women trying to gain equality within climbing and and gaining it it's easy to sort of 
punch out these guys that you know have always been here and, right. and we sort of expect this from and i think it is it is sort of like to use that word space you know it is sort of like to me it's like yeah i'm gonna create or like in my head like give this person space mm-hmm. you know this woman that is sort of fighting for recognition within what is still sort of a man's world like that's i think that's part of it it's like okay there's a space for this to happen and the guy who's always been there, I'm just like, dude, enough. To me, the um, the question of spray is much more interesting when you think about whether the the spray is deserving or not. Because when someone is doing something that they want to talk, you know, like they just want attention, whether it's deserved or not, that sort of tints or taints, you know, the the your impression of it, but. There's spray that I think is well-deserved, you mm-hmm. know, like someone who's, I don't know, had like a legitimate struggle and like really overcome something or another and is just genuinely openly psyched and authentically psyched to just share that with people. I respond to that really well. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. There, There is a difference there. I don't know exactly yeah, what it is. Yeah, but it's all like, it's all our judgment. You know, or just, yeah. But what are you judging? You're, I mean, you're not judging like the achievement itself. You're not judging the hard, the like difficulty of the grade of the route. You're judging like a number of factors. You know, it's like this like interesting <laughs> equation. Like, who is this person? Uh-huh. Are they, are they being authentic or not? What are their real motivations in terms of, you know, talking about themselves? You know, is this about just like appeasing a sponsor or is this about just like genuinely trying to, you know, open up to other people and connect with them, share a struggle or two. And all those things like go into, I I don't know, like people are very intuitive about that stuff. Sure. You can read that stuff off of a person's face in a room in an instant. Sure. Like your, your intuitions as a human make it so that you were so finely attuned to like smell bullshit, you know? And the social media thing's interesting because we pretend that the bullshit's not there in so many, you know, in so many ways. The the face-to-face interactions with spray is much more complicated. The people who, I, you know, I've only met like one true spray lord in my life and he was fucking unbearable to be around. Like <laughs> completely only unbearable. One. Like a true spray lord who was giddy at the fact of running to the first group of people right. he saw to tell everyone that he sent and just blah, oblivious blah, 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 to to the reactions yeah just oblivious right. so it was just like right. it was really obnoxious behavior right. and you know the, I, I feel like that kind of stuff gets like enshrined in social media culture or online culture or something in general people are very loath to talk about themselves and and I guess I want to like ask you a question now about like pivoting this to the in-person stuff, because one of the things that I've always struggled with as, you know, obviously the most humble and person that you've ever met sure. at the Crags, yeah, yeah. when people are asking you for root recommendations uh-huh. or beta or whatever, how do you let them know that you've on-sided the route that they're interested in talking about? I don't without think without saying that you've done it. Well, because I've 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 done all these rhetorical tricks. Like if someone's like, "Oh, do you know the beta on blah blah blah?" And you're like, "Well, 
you know, not really like I did it once and it was a good route, you know? Right. And, and, and kind of within that like casual comment, you're, you're spraying about yourself. You're saying I onsetted that route. Right. It wasn't important to me. I don't know the beta <laughs> and I'm sorry that this is difficult for you and I can't help you with your problems right now. You know, I mean, like, that's kind of what that, like, very casual, like, comment me, like, comes across as. And, and in so some I'm, ways, it would be more merciful if you just said, dude, I don't know, I onside it, I don't remember. And then everyone could move on to, like, the next thing. Exactly. Instead of beating around the bush and, like. I should try that, but I, I've always, I, I, have, no, it's, I yeah. haven't done that because I'm, I'm try, I try to be nice, you know, but. <laughs> Yeah, and obviously, no, no, I don't I have a lot it. of roots to. I mean, to, yeah, I, can I guess, pull that card on. and that does happen occasionally. I guess, yeah, you just kind of avoid it. I think because I, I would be, I would be loath to just come out and say that myself. So yeah, I don't remember. Like, I remember this one part being like, yeah, you go, you know, you just, I think like you just dig around for at least one thing you're sort of sure of. Oh yeah, there's a rest at the fourth bolt or. You know what I mean? But not getting into the nitty gritty about it. But the other part of it, the equation is that I've been on the other side of that conversation Mm -hmm. and I do want to know if someone's onsided a route. I want to know that. Right. I think it's like valuable information. Sure. And it's not, it doesn't degrade me or my worth to know that someone else is like, you know, onsided a route that is hard for me. Now, do you think that Alex Honnold would withhold that information? Fuck no, dude. No, exactly. Yeah. So maybe we should just... And that's the thing is he would just deliver it clean, factual. Dude, I don't know. I onsided it. Yeah. Like I sold it. Whatever. Right. You know? And and then, like I said, the the conversation could move on. I don't know. I, I guess I take that back. I, <laughs> I, he might say that if you if the camera was on him and he was like, you know, acting in his like Honold right. way. But I think, in, you know, with no prompt to be that character that he plays in films i i I question whether he would actually do that right um i think he would be like try to talk around it as well talk talk around it yeah yeah Yeah, it's it's a weird way to talk around stuff and so i guess what we're getting at with this conversation right now or at least what i'm realizing as i'm talking about this is one of the things that spray does is it highlights hierarchies and imbalances and abilities Mm -hmm. and people are very sensitive to that and they if they're on the higher end of the hierarchy, they try to being good people, they try to walk around it or, or if they're on the lower end of it, they could potentially hold people into, you know, positions of, I don't know, think of them in unflattering ways, you know, or, or they could, you know, just be, you know, healthy people who were psychologically healthy people who aren't like tied up in, their self-worth with climbing mm-hmm. or whatever. But yeah, I don't know. I think we're all susceptible to some of that. And so it's, it does seem like this like weird, like climbing is a hierarchy, you know, mm-hmm. like it's very, we have this like grade system that shows difficulty and it's very, <laughs> you know, hierarchical and like literally, literally yeah. hierarchical, and we're all susceptible to what that means. Right. And so we're all trying to figure out our position in the world of climbing. And all our conversations are sort of tinted with, you know, I'm either going to assert my my position as being superior or inferior to you, or I'm going to try to do this like 
uh, quote unquote polite song and dance that sort of obscures that. Yeah, but it's funny because in that I guess this is where this whole like topic came into my head is that it's like uh, inescapable. And if you think you've escaped from it, you're full of shit. Yeah. Because it's like even trying not to says something about like your position in the hierarchy. Mm-hmm. And it it's just kind of strange. And and I said like the affirmation league, you know, and and, and you pointed out rightly so that the affirmation league you know, is online. And then those people all have their own opinions offline. We've heard them, you know, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And and, don't believe what you read online. Yeah, exactly. And so it's like, we know, you know, sometimes someone's like, Oh, that was awesome. You're amazing. And then they're actually in their head, like thinking that same thing of like, God damn full of shit. Like, so it's funny because it's like this public thing and there's the private thing. And, Again, it's kind of like the grades don't matter argument. You know, there's like a handful of extraordinarily zen climbers for whom it doesn't matter. And the rest of us, it at least matters a little bit. Yeah. You know, and that's the, I mean, we I've gone down that road like a hundred times with people. The grades don't matter. It's like, okay, so you just don't even look. You don't even look at what the grade is before you climb something. Really? Right. You don't even bother. <laughs> if Obviously, it's not five, it's seven not or true. five, eight. Yeah. You know, it's like. But so it's it, the spray thing too is kind of kind of like that. Like we, at least somewhere we're hanging out, thinking about where we are in that and what we can talk about with our, about ourselves. Or at least if we're somewhat sensitive people, and I think the true sp- spray lords, the problem is, is they can't read the room. We tried not to make this <laughs> this episode too much of a just like ripping on social media because mm-hmm. we do that all the time, but. If you were to actually read like a spray worthy post on Instagram, if like just imagine that person re- saying those words that they wrote about themselves out loud in person right. to a group of climbers after they climbed a route, you would think that that person is the biggest <laughs> fucking loser. Totally true. I mean, like, it's so weird. Even like, Sean Villanueva dis- Driscoll. Totally. He just walked into a crowd of fucking Argentines and then... And just started talking, talking about... about the be- beauty of it all that yeah. he, he had encountered on the cliff. Everybody just be like... Shut be like, the fuck up, up dude. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what an interesting thing. I think that uh, the new rule for climbing should be that if you write about yourself sending a route on Instagram, you have to at least read what you wrote in person out loud to at the a, crag. a stranger at the crag to a stranger at yeah. the crag. Yeah. <laughs> the project wall <laughs> while they're belaying their friend. <laughs> Another sunset. You just start it like that. John Bergman is a journalist who has been covering comp climbing for the better part of a decade. He is the author of High Drama, The Rise, Fall, and Rebirth of American Competition Climbing. I'm up for anything. Sharma's got a reality show, apparently. Um, uh, Did you hear about that, Chris? No. Oh, this is breaking news. Oh, let's Uh, hear it. Do you know about this, Andrew? I do, yeah. 
Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, him, he and Jason Momo are doing something on HBO Max. Oh, okay. Um, so I'm not what sure you, exactly what What do you means. know about it, John? I don't know a lot. It was just, I think, the, like the press release or whatever came out today, and there wasn't a lot of info in it. Typical, just sort of vague <laughs> descriptions in, you know, press release type speak. But I, re- so like two months ago, there was an announcement that Kelly Slater was doing a reality, a surfing reality show. Did you, did, do you remember hearing that? I didn't no. hear that okay. news, yeah. It was called, I think it's going to be called The Ultimate Surfer. They've done one for MMA called The Ultimate Fighter, and they, I think they've done a couple others. But I remember when that hit, I was talking to the editors of Jim Climber, and I was like, hey, I should, like, we should write a piece, because I think it's only a matter of time until these boardrooms are pitching, like, climbing reality. I mean, if it's The Ultimate Surfer, it's only a matter of time until there's yeah, somebody in a boardroom being like, let's right do The Ultimate door. Climber, yeah. right? And here we are. And it, this is, sounds like it's a little different iteration. I it sounds like it might be kind of amazing race type thing. I'm not a big huh. reality show guy. I'm huh. not really familiar with various formats and stuff, but um yeah, it's apparently people will compete in various competitions to become I don't know. I don't know what you become. The <laughs> you get, ultimate climber. Yeah, the yeah, something. Yeah. <clears throat> um is J- and Jason Momoa is involved. It seems like kind of slumming for him to be on a reality show. Is that he is was he in the press release? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was like he and Jason Momoa are doing a show together. Huh. Yeah, I'm not huh. really sure what, too much more beyond that. Right on. It's like eight episodes on HBO Max. Huh, okay. Yeah, yeah climbing is just... Sounds like it's going to be control. like a tour a tour of climbing. Like they're going to kind of trace the roots of the sport and Chris will be the mm-hmm. tour guide and Jason will be the oh, yeah. eye candy. You know, amazing or... cliff. <laughs> is, isn't it interesting that this happened, amazing. you know... Roughly on the anniver- the twenty year anniversary of Chris doing realization or whatever. It's like right, if you yeah. had told Chris twenty years ago, "Hey man, you're going to be hosting a reality <laughs> show in twenty years." What do you think of that? It's been interesting to kind of yeah see what he thought. Yeah, well, I'll 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 tune in. I guess I don't have HBO Max though, but someone can give me their password. Someone out there in Run Out Run Out Land can give me their password. <laughs> give me is, that, is that like their streaming service or something? I don't know what HBO Max. I is. think so. Yeah. Yeah. It's all streaming now. All right. So, John, you're sort of the preeminent uh, journalist on competition climbing. You've written a book about it, tracing the origins of comp climbing. You've written hundreds, it seems, like articles on the Olympics. And we, uh, we're about two weeks out from the Olympics now, and we really just have one question for you. Who the fuck is Colin Duffy? <laughs> Potential gold medal winner. Um, <laughs> that's who he is. Tune in next week. NBC. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's I, so I, I guess for anybody that is totally is tuning in and doesn't know what the heck we're talking about. Colin Duffy is one of the qualified American Olympians, one of the four team ABC kid from Colorado uh, who is, you know, Robin Herbisfield. Brooke Rabatou's mother is his longtime coach. He shocked a lot of people because he, when he qualified, he qualified at the Pan American Championships back in early 2020. I think a lot of people, he was 16 at the time, so it was his, it might have been his first ever adult circuit event. And I think a lot of people were expecting 
the that Olympic berth to go to maybe Zach Gala or Xander Waller or Sean Bailey. And certainly any of those are any of those men were capable of getting that spot, but Colin Duffy climbed awesome and got the final Olympic berth. So it was great. Awesome. Uh, Chris, do you have any more questions for John or should... No, that's it. We can just sign off now. I just It's been keeping me awake at night. <laughs> just his face looming in my dreams. Well, he's having a good start to the season, too. He got a bronze good. medal in Villars. Good. So he, uh, you know, that's about as good as you can hope for in terms of confidence boost heading into the Olympics. The Olympics is going to be a totally funky format, which I'm sure a lot of people listening know, but... The the real spirit behind that question, I guess, is just so people don't think we're complete assholes. Um, is that, you know, the Olympics got delayed for a year. There was, you know, we've been following the comp scene this last spring, and you know, we've seen Sean Bailey and Natalia Grossman just like destroying all the competitions. And of course, they're not of the four Americans going to the Olympics. And so, if if you're a casual observer, you haven't been paying attention to the comp scene, you'd kind of be like. Why, you know, why is Colin, this guy, Colin Duffy, this young kid I've never heard of, you know, one of the Olympians? I think a lot of countries are probably in a similar boat. What happened is these countries have their Olympians and the Olympics is going to be in this funky format. And then there's this World Cup circuit going on. And so I think a lot of countries chose to have their Olympians maybe start doing a couple of the World Cup events and then kind of take off and not do the World Cup anymore and focus exclusively on Olympic training and Olympic prep and probably some publicity and stuff like that for the the most recent World Cups. It's these past several weeks there's been like less and less qualified Olympians showing up on the World Cup circuit and the most recent World Cup there were none of the qualified American Olympians there. But there were, like you said, other people Sean Bailey, Natalia Grossman, several others. Yeah, it doesn't seem to make it wouldn't seem to make sense to be competing this close to the Olympics when you're, you know, some sort of training cycle or anything else may involve rest or, or also just the risk of injury and things like that. It seems like to, to chill out before the games would be a smart move, at least as far as competing in these things. Yeah. There was one competitor who chose to do the full circuit up until this most recent world, the the last possible world cup before the Olympics. And that's Alberto Hines Lopez from Spain. And I think the general consensus is that it was probably a mistake. They were saying on commentary that he looked really exhausted these last couple World Cups. And I don't think his results have been as good as people would have expected, considering mm-hmm. that this is these are lead World Cups, Cup events. Lead is his specialty. And there's all it's also a diminished field because there are less, you know, there are less qualified Olympians there. So people were expecting him to you know, maybe get a podium or something like that. He He didn't. So probably not the best decision on his part. I think I can understand why. I agree with you, Chris. I don't think most people would think of it as a as the best option, but I could see why maybe somebody would say, well, especially if you're a young competitor, it gives you experience on the mm-hmm, circuit. It mm-hmm. gives you, you know, more preparation, dealing with nerves and anxiety and stuff like that. That way you go into the Olympics maybe thinking, oh, it's just another comp. I've already done you know, 10 of these this year or whatever. But, right. It backfired because now he's like, oh, my God, my results were terrible. Now what's going to happen to me? The other thing is they're probably all just banging out laps on the speed climbing wall, aren't they, at this point? Like, I mean, isn't that really going to be the decider in the end? 
<laughs> that is definitely the I, so I think they're <laughs> I think you're right. I've thought about what are the biggest X factors for these games, and I think there are three that come to mind first and foremost, which would be the humidity, just the brutal. I looked at the weather and it was like 90% humidity in Tokyo like two days ago. Um, so the weather is going to be interesting. Uh, the route setting, of course, that's always an X factor. And then also the speed, speed, which just one small slip and you can go from first place to literally last. And that is very brutal with how they have done the scoring. The scoring right. for the games is your place in each discipline is multiplied together. So if you just have one small slip in speed and let's say you instead of doing really well you finish in 15th or something like 15th times anything is going to be a big number. So it's very unforgiving. Think about starting a company that were drones like I had uh fan drones. You know that lifted this could have been my big debut if I'd have gotten them off the drawing board. Um just like a drone following the climber with a fan. So, I don't know. I blew it, I guess. I think I our listeners would like uh, new podcast <laughs> episodes before drone fans. Okay. Well, that's why, that's why chop, we had chop, that little Chris. lull a couple months ago. Because <laughs> I had my AutoCAD out. Like <laughs> another, another reason for competitors to... Another thing that competitors can call technicals on or appeal. Mm-hmm. Oh, the drone was in my way. I, exactly. The drone yeah. was distracting me. <laughs> I told him to put it on low, not high. <laughs> Um, the AI anyway, behind yeah. the drone turned evil and attacked me. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so when you're talking about format, you know, everybody's con- and that that's kind of what you're talking about is the is the multidiscipline format that's really unusual. Is there anything else to be noted as we're watching? Like if you're used to watching, you know, any of the other World Cups or anything like that? that- yeah, the lead will probably be very similar. I think the mm-hmm. one main difference is going to be that I think. Uh, I'm pretty sure competitors only will do three boulders, whereas in, for example, like a bouldering World Cup final round, they do four. Mm-hmm. And so th- that'll be interesting because it's, I don't know, it's almost, I don't think they'll give, for example, like two slab boulders, but they, you know, let's say they do and it's like two out of the three or if somebody's not good at slab, that's pretty brutal. Like two out of the three boulders are not to their style. You think that the more boulders there are, like if they're four or something, or even more than that in like a a different comp, that puts a little more kind of breathing room there in case mm-hmm. one of the boulders is not to a competitor's style. It's like, it's okay, maybe the, the other three will be. So that'll be that'll be really interesting. Um and I think the route setting in general is going to be fascinating to to watch to see what they come up with because I look at this and I think everybody knows that the the Olympics is all about non-endemic viewers tuning into these very specialized sports, right? It's like everybody pretends like we're really into figure skating or something for like for like the 2 weeks of the Winter Olympics and mm-hmm. then we don't follow it for the rest of the the four years with all due respect to our devoted figure skating uh, <laughs> listeners out there. And so I think the route setting though, I think the route setters will know that. And so they might go into this wanting to set some flashier stuff than they would normally because they know that, yeah, the, to the casual viewer, the thing that's going to really pop is like, I don't know, double dinos and like crazy 360 campus stuff. Like you see a little of that on the world cup circuit. And we've certainly seen more and more over the years, but I could see them deciding to maybe turn the dial up to 11 a little bit on on the uh, at the Olympics here. It's it's still it's World Cup route setters. So it's 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 people that have experience setting on the World Cup circuit. But nonetheless, I could see them being like, oh, let's really amp this up because we're going right. to have a lot of 
casual fans watching this. The NBC producers in their ear, like, can we get more of that jumpy, jumpy thing that they do? I I think that that's probably like more realistic than we (laughs) realize. Yeah, I'm only partially joking about (laughs) that. I just um, had a vision, but before we move on, of uh, climbers on ice, spectacular, like a, <laughs> a, a like a musical special at some point. I tune into that. That's yeah. what they'll afterwards. They'll be, you know the the escapades like <laughs> they tour later. That'll be afterwards, like when their careers are a little, you know, and then they in the shitter they'll be they'll be talked into doing a climbers yeah. on ice tour. Eight climbers on ice. I think that's just called like uh, a Canadian ice climbing. Yeah, or just like. <laughs> Canadian uh, hockey rink. John, how do you think that the this strange combined format competition has affected the competitors? Do you think it's ultimately helped them or hurt them to have to try to, you know, be all arounders as opposed to specialists? I've talked to a number of them and I've talked to coaches and everything. I think you kind of hear every every kind of answer. And I think at this point going into it, it's going to be hard to get an honest answer from any of them because they're all going to be saying, Oh yeah, it's, you know, it's been great. We adapted to it and and, you know, whatever. I think probably some of them benefited from, I mean, I don't know. It it never hurts to, to cross train a little bit in disciplines that might not be your specialty. I think to, to a certain extent that can always be beneficial to the degree to which um, a lot of them wanted to devote so much time and, now this whole extra year to pursuing and getting better at a discipline that was not their specialty, probably deep in, you know, deep down inside, they're not thrilled about it, but I do think there are probably some skills that, that transfer a little bit, you know, I mean, it's the big one is the speed climbers trying to adjust and adapt to become proficient in bouldering and lead climbing. I think that's the, probably the biggest, <laughs> kind of the biggest hurdle yeah, I, I don't know, but I personally really like the combined format. I'm, I feel like I'm kind of in the in the minority there. I, I'm curious what both of you think of, think of well, the combined format. Maybe you could just explain the format to our listeners sure. and just give us a quick overview, because as my understanding is, it all takes place in one day, all three events, and so it's basically, I mean, climbing in the Olympics is a one day event. Is is that correct? And and how how does it work? And what are, what can we expect to see when we tune in? Yes, that is correct. It is the easy way to think of it is it's like a triathlon, which you have multiple disciplines and you have to do them sequentially. And then your eventual score is is your kind of cumulative performance in all three of those disciplines. So the three disciplines that are going to be combined at the Olympics are speed climbing, bouldering and and lead climbing. And so every competitor who's qualified for the Olympics will have to participate in all three of those disciplines on the same day, uh, you know, within the same, like um, within a matter of hours. And, um, and like we said earlier, then your, how you do in each of those disciplines will be combined, uh, will be multiplied for a final score. So if you get, let's say second in speed climbing, second in bouldering and second in lead climbing, right? So it'd be second, 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 two times two times two. So your final score would be what uh eight eight yeah um so that's how the that's how the olympic format will work and that's totally new to climbing to competition climbing Uh, people listening that might not be familiar with the comp scene all of those disciplines have been contested separately for years and years but prior to climbing's olympics inclusion they they hadn't been 
put together sequentially like that. You they'd even been com- like your score in all of them had been combined before, but never before, never since in that triathlon mode where like you have to do this and then this and then this. And the reason they did that, it's kind of interesting. The IOC, the International Olympic Committee, awarded the IFSC, the governing body, global governing body of competition climbing. They awarded them one set of medals. And they said to the IFSC, you can give this medal in the Olympics, this set of medals for whatever discipline you want. And it kind of put the IFSC in a tricky spot because they could choose to just include one discipline. Like, let's say, okay, we'll just include bouldering, right? That bouldering only in the Olympics, or they could combine two, maybe like, oh, let's do bouldering and lead climbing, or they could combine all three of them, which is what they did. They ended up choosing to combine all three of them because they were thinking that whichever discipline or disciplines are included in the Olympics, that is where the interest and ultimately the money in the future is going to go, right? More sponsors. If sponsors have a, like a sum of money and they're like, we want to put this in, uh, into climbing somehow. Well, they're going to be enticed to put it in the, the discipline that's going to have the Olympic eyes, right? So they'll put it into the, whatever discipline is into the Olympics. So it's funny that when the combined discipline was first announced, it was widely panned by the climbing community. And I'm not saying that that was totally unjustified, but it's just interesting to note that it was in a way it, it like there's, it should be praised to an extent because it was the IFSC's attempt to say, we don't want any of these disciplines to kind of get left behind. Right. We want to, we want the the money and the stoke to, to follow all these disciplines. We don't want to just include bouldering and then have everybody's attention and money go to bouldering. Well, this is the first time I've heard that it, was in one day, actually. I didn't realize that, which is kind of wild and intense, actually. Do you happen to know what the, the, uh, what the order is? It'll be speed, then bouldering, and then lead. That's and pretty I think wild. It is. I think the thinking is putting speed first is that, that is, since it's you know, like a sprint, that's when you need the most, the most pop, right? Like That's right. when you need your muscles to be sort of the most, um, I don't know, dynamic in a sense. So that's why they chose to put speed first. I well, think that was a mistake because imagine a circumstance where there's two people who, depending on whether they get first or second in a speed round, that determines who gets the gold medal. I mean, what could be more exciting than that? If that was the f- final event, I mean, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I think I, I, I agree. I think the only thing is then you, pr- if they're exhausted from having done bouldering and lead, you're probably not going to get, for example, like any world records in speed then, um, which is probably i i don't know like there's there's certainly some plays some ways that you can splice it um that's a good point though yeah i mean they love olympic records like the olympics the television media that's pretty serious to where you know there's been talk that some people have even like pulled back until they got to the olympics hoping that they could beat a record there instead of in the you know world cup two weeks before and other disciplines i mean i mean that's like a, a serious factor this whole stamina thing then and do you think that's been something that the competitors have been talking about and thinking about in terms of their training? Because it's a it's a, a completely different dimension that I hadn't even thought about in terms of who might, you know, who might arrive at the lead wall in the best shape because they just happen to have the best or not happen, but, you know, have trained the best sort of all day stamina. I mean, it's that's you're going to be wrecked by the time you get to the lead wall if you have the bouldering competition, too, you know? 
that's part of the reason why I, I personally like the combined discipline, because it really does result in like a totally different cohort standing out right mm-hmm. it's like it's it's not just the best speed climber it's not just the best boulder it's not the best lead climber it's not even the best who can combine them together it's the it's the best person that can combine them together like all at once and have the endurance at the end to come through that i love it most people have kind of warmed up to the combined discipline by now so i feel like it's kind of a moot point but especially when people were objecting to it it's like well nobody objects to the triathlon like nobody looks at that and says like oh this isn't this isn't like a worthy event or whatever Everybody, i think it's just I, and i think people warmed up to it like i said and i think people would continue to warm up to the combined discipline more and more if it would continue into additional olympics it doesn't sound like it's going to it sounds like it'll be just gone after this this tokyo olympics but um paris 2024 which are the olympics after these they have two sets of medals for those olympics so they're going to combine bouldering and lead into its own like mini combined format and then speed climbing will be its own its own medal and i I think the hope is to eventually maybe 2028 which are the olympics will be in la no confirmation that yet that climbing will be included in them but the hope would be that then you would get separate medals for all three each right. each of the three disciplines would have its own set of medals provided la is not smoking ruins is that what you're saying By providing yeah providing yes providing that la is still uh, not smoking not smoking ruins <laughs> i'm just you know i'm not making any predictions but they're gonna run out of water here in a minute it seems that there's this scenario that i would guess would be among the worst case scenarios that we could hope for or not hope for in, in um, with the Olympics in which someone places, let's say fourth in every discipline. And somehow because everyone else who's podiums has one bad event, they end up getting the gold medal. So someone who's has not stood on any of the podiums ends up winning the whole thing. You know, are you worried that a scenario like that could happen? Yeah, well, I don't think they're doing podiums per se for each discipline, right? Okay. But do you mean like like a theoretic theoretical theoretical podium? podium I yeah. guess, yeah, yeah. It's interesting because it has brought in a degree of like game theory. I guess I don't know what you'd call it, but like tactical, like like you look and you say, okay, if especially if there's somebody who's a speed specialist, for example, it's like I have to win my specialty discipline. Because I know I'm not as proficient, not nearly as proficient in bouldering or lead. So there's this, this, uh, this logic of like, okay, I'll get first place in this discipline, and then in the others, you know, I just maybe like f- stay in the middle, like fifth or sixth place, and that'd be fine, and I could still end up with a really good result in the end. Compared to somebody who might go at it and say, I'm not really trying to be a specialist in any discipline. I think it's better to attempt it as a, as an all arounder. So I'm going to try and get, like you said, third in everything or fourth in everything or something like that. Again, if we had, if we had decades and decades of the combined discipline, we would see the type of methodology that's best. We would be able to look at these results from years and years and say, okay, we've seen now over the decades that the all arounder approach is better than the specialist approach or something like that. You know, unfortunately, we, I mean, I don't know, maybe they will revive the combined discipline at some point, but it doesn't look like we'll get that, which is too bad because I do think, yeah, to your point, like there's, there's a lot of strategy. I don't think they'll be bummed necessarily. I don't think the Olympians will be thinking like, oh, I didn't get on the theoretical podium for bouldering or something like that. I don't think that would bum them out more so than uh, I, I think it's the focus is entirely on the, yeah, the end, the very end of the event. 
Well, every time I t- we talk about the format, I actually kind of get more excited about it. And this is, you know, for the last year and a half or whatever, because I, you know, I, I was definitely the person like everyone else, like speed climbing. What exactly, you know? And then you just added this this one day dimension to it that I think is even more exciting. Now I want to see like who's dragging themselves up that that lead climbing wall and who's still got who's still got the uh, the pepper, you know, at the end of it. Sounds like a whole nother dimension that's going to be interesting to watch, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's like it's one thing to be good at lead climbing. It's another thing to have to do it after you've done a whole speed speed climbing round mm-hmm. and a bouldering round. And and especially then if you think there's a, a qualification and a, and a final. So it's like right. then thinking about having to do the lead final round lead after you've already done those other disciplines in the final and you've done a whole other qualification it's just i mean the yeah the endurance is a it's a huge it's going to be a huge thing i wonder if the setters are going to be factoring in terms of like you know the idea with setting obviously is to get someone that almost makes it who wins and on down the thing but if you know they go into that mentality from a world cup where everybody's fresh they might end up setting a route nobody gets up you know what i mean like or no one gets even close if I mean, and they don't know because they don't have a way to have factored this in ever before. So I think the the pressure on the setting is probably, I mean, other than the fact that it's the Olympics, so the pressure is huge. But then you've got, you know, they're setting for a thing they've never had to set for before in a in a wild way. So those meetings, those late night meetings must be pretty wild to try to figure out how are we going to put the right thing on this world stage um, and not come out being the, you know, the jerks that ru- ruin the Olympics or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, we've seen what's cool, too, is in this the recent World Cup events, we've seen some really cool setting actually on the lead wall, too. I say cool. I know that some people don't like the parkour style and setting and whatnot, but that used to be kind of limited sort of in to bouldering. Right. Mm-hmm. The, like we said before, the paddle dinos and stuff like that. Well, the last couple World Cups, they've they've finished the lead route with with big dinos. And so it's like, yeah, imagine not only a dyno in general on a lead wall to, to top it. Right. Uh, but having to do that as exhausted as they will be mm-hmm. after doing all these other things, it's really cool. Well, it's also very unusual for me to use the word exciting and climbing competition in the same sentence. So, yeah, so it's, it's getting me if, if, if the intention was to like get the people that don't normally watch comps, then it's working because I'm like, Ooh, this sounds really cool actually. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. That's cool to hear. I like I like that. John, maybe um just give us a little bit of your backstory. How did you get into covering competitions? You've carved out a niche for yourself as a journalist of the comp scene and have you always been fascinated with this or did was this like a an, a random choice that you decided to make? I mean, I've always loved it. Um I've always loved the comp scene. I have very vivid memories of before we started recording, we were talking about living in New York. I remember going to the Barnes and Noble in in Union Square, I think, and finding the issues of Urban Climber and like flipping to the back to see the ABS results and stuff. So I've always loved the comp scene in particular. I think that just comes from the fact that I love sports. And so that sports fandom has always kind of been a part of my climbing. Yeah, And aside from just the interest in climbing, I've always been pursuing various writing jobs and, and magazine, the magazine world and journalism and all that. And I guess they aligned for the first time, really, probably like maybe six years ago, maybe a little more, something like that, when I just started writing um, about the about the World Cup scene, actually, and pitching articles, and a couple of them got picked up 
first, you know, by like climbing business journal was one of the first to pick up some of the stuff I wrote. Um, and there was a couple others. There was one called, I think it was crux crush. I think was a website that, that, um, picked up some of my stuff. And then from there, you know, you just kind of network and eventually it worked out that, uh, climbing magazine was, I, I think Eddie Falk, who's, who was the IFSC photographer at the time, he was doing photos and also writing recaps of the events. And there was something where he couldn't go to an event that was in China or something like that. And so I had written some stuff for climbing magazine before, and they knew that I loved the comp scene. And they just said, could you write a recap of this world cup? And, you know, kind of ever since then, it's what I've been doing. You know, in the last year, I think maybe a year ago, we probably would have predicted that uh, Yanya would win for the women and uh, maybe Adam or Tomoa or even Jakob Schubert might win for the men. That was kind of the the favorites. Has that changed at all in your estimation? You've been following the, you know, the World Cup scene this last year. Have you seen anything, any injuries or any just kind of performances that have led you to like maybe readjust your calculations on who your favorites are? I think all of those are still fine choices. Yanya is she's had a fantastic start to I mean the World Cup season that she's done so far. She hasn't done a full she, she like we said before she kind of removed herself from some of the more recent events, World Cup events, but she's had a great start to the season. Adam Andra, yeah, he still certainly should be considered, you know, a favorite, although he he did he was having a little bit of a shoulder issue. Uh, that caused him to pull out of one of the Salt Lake City World Cups, I think. It doesn't seem like it's a huge thing. It seems like he his pulling out of that comp was more cautionary than anything. But there are a number of little injuries that we're monitoring. Adams won. Julia Shanady from France has an injury. Uh, Jessie Pills, I would have put her as a favorite a year or so ago, but she uh, has a pulley injury that she just did in May, I think. And that's, you know, that's... Timing wise, those take a long time to heal. Uh, so that's certainly not ideal. In general, Team USA has really shined a lot this World Cup season. And I, I don't just say that with like nationalistic pride. I think objectively you can look at it and say that they're having their Team USA is having their best World Cup season ever. So I think that raises the profile and the and the possibilities for for all the Americans that are in the in the Olympics. And in particular, Brooke Rabatou has just, she's had just kind of like a dream season. I mean, by far her best adult World Cup season ever so far. All of a sudden you're hearing like a lot of buzz about her. It's funny, before this year, there was just kind of like it was celebrating that she was in the Olympics and all these other Americans were in the Olympics. But now there's talk of, oh, what about like podiums or or beyond for her? But I think to your original question, yeah, all those names are certainly still um still considered good picks to moa yanya adam etc who's the like the total dark horse nobody's thinking about them kind of people that might in your opinion just like blow us all away like some polish guy or something well so Colin duffy <laughs> <laughs> sure why not you know um Rishat Kaibulin is a guy um, from Kazakhstan. He is a speed specialist, but he got third place at the when he qualified for the Olympics, the first Olympic qualifier in Hachioji. Third place for a speed specialist is pretty darn good. So he's he's like the dark horse that everybody knows about, I guess, right, that right. everybody is like kind of watching. So I don't know if he's really a dark horse. One of the people that I'm really curious about 
is Chaeyoung So from Korea because she so let's go back to 2019 the World Cup circuit Yanya Garnbret sweeps the bouldering season wins every single bouldering competition that season and heading into the lead season I think she won the so bouldering was first the bouldering portion and then the lead portion if I remember correctly she won the first lead competition so everybody was like oh it's going to be the same she she might sweep the lead season just like she swept the bouldering season and then this rookie from Korea named Cheon So, I think she was 16 years old at the time, comes onto the adult circuit and and beats Yanya. And everybody's like, oh my gosh, maybe it was a fluke. Well, she beats her again and beats her again. She ends up beating Yanya four times on that lead circuit in 2019. Oh yeah. Um, and then, yeah, right, totally. Like beating the, you know, the goat, right? The greatest. And but then the the <laughs> pandemic happens. <laughs> that's an episode name right there beating the goat, <laughs> beating anyway, the goat. Keep, keep going sorry <laughs> um and and then the the pandemic happens the, the asia continental championships end up getting canceled and stuff so long story short we haven't really seen cheon so since that monumental 2019 world cup season and yet she is qualified for the olympics and so th- that like definitely the dark horse because she has beaten yanya before in lead climbing consistently now the big question is how is she going to do it speed climbing and bouldering right she's and, been training dude well that's the thing her dad yeah. owns a gym and so you know that during the pandemic when a lot of other people were locked down or you know just kind of crushing on their home walls or whatever she presumably had access private access to this to this climbing gym in south korea to continue training she's also she was 16 in 2019 i think so like the gains that you can make in two years are pretty pretty phenomenal at that age. So, um, yes, she's definitely someone to watch. There are other, like, we haven't seen the Chinese competitors either, and so they're kind of X-Factors, Dark Horse as well, but Cheon in particular, I think, because she has that history of beating Yan, beating the goat, as we say, right? So, And you have a personal connection to Korea, so that must be kind of exciting for you to maybe have that happen. Yeah, it's really cool. I lived there for many years, and at the time, the big name was Jian Kim, who's not a qualified Olympian, but it was, I mean, she was like, it was cool. She was a real celebrity at the time when I lived over there. So yeah, kind of a cool little personal connection. So what can we expect from the coverage? Is this going to be a scene on the Ocho in the middle of the night? Are we going to have to tune in online? Do you know what what we're going to have to do to see this competition and its completion? I'm still trying to figure that out myself. I know the editors of Climbing Magazine are still trying to figure that out. Um, it's, it, it's, I don't know what they will do in terms of showing. I mean, I don't think they'll show it live because, yeah, the time zone difference between Tokyo and the States. What I've heard, and I would urge everybody to take this with a grain of salt and kind of do their own research, but I've heard that you're going to be able to watch all rounds of not only climbing, but other sports as well on the live streaming on the NBC's Peacock streaming network service and and then i i would imagine that some sort of edited version will be shown later on nbc you know the the network version of the olympics i haven't seen that schedule yet i don't know what the plans are for that i think maybe some of those decisions in terms of the network broadcast will depend on if there are you know, Olympians in the finals or something like that. I don't know, but I, I, th- I think well, I think it will be on network television though, in some form, recorded form, because the the IOC said they wanted to, in, they included climbing and surfing and skateboarding because they want to get 
these a younger demographic, right? They they were very forthcoming in saying that. So it would be I mean, just in hearing that. Well, that would make sense. Then they would want to broadcast. Like, why would you include mm-hmm. these new sports and then not show them? Right. Right. So. Well, for one reason, uh, young people don't have cable television. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's it seems like this will be, you know, every year has been, but this will be another year where the online component, if there's a watch on demand component, you know, stream it later, all those things might come into play more so than ever this year. Andrew's sort of joking, but it's it's no joke. I mean, if people watch their stuff online and on demand more than anything and you know, they're like, we're going to do a 15 we'll second see. TikTok of the, of the, of the entire event. And, uh, that'll be yeah. it. <laughs> well, well, that goes back to the route setting, right? That goes back to what we were saying about having, you better have some flashy route setting that can be good Instagram clickable stuff. Mm-hmm. You know how they have those, uh, they always have the like breakout, you know, soft music stories about the competitors, <laughs> you know, in between with lots of tears usually and stuff like that like if you, if you had to pick one or two competitors for that who jumps out as having a story that would like break into the that that awesome olympic tearjerker uh uh you know breakout or these or exciting or interesting it's got to be kyra condi though i mean she's just got her her scoliosis story with her back and i think that's I, my money would be on kyra for the tearjerker for Team USA, yeah. yeah, that's the big. That's one that you could see easily being getting that kind of treatment beyond her, like other competitors from other countries, uh, like Shauna Coxie from Great Britain and Akio Noguchi from Japan have both said that they're going to retire after the Olympics. Oh, perfect! So that's kind of uh, that makes a nice video package story, right? Especially for I mean, they're both very decorated competitors, kind of legends in their own right, and so those are two that definitely come to mind as well i'm trying to think of a guy well if the ioc uh, hears this podcast they're gonna have to do colin duffy and it'll be like <laughs> ignored by <laughs> climbing ignored media by the meat by climbing media <laughs> his cool the story whipping is, boy of, it, of competition climbing he's um he's stayed in he's managed to stay in like i think he did like he stayed in full-time high school he goes to like a nice uh really really prestigious charter school in Colorado. And I think he chose to, I mean, I guess nobody's schooling was normal during the pandemic. Right. But yeah. like, I think he managed to take the normal course load and stuff. He didn't want to, I don't know, like take a partial, partial schedule or anything, which is kind of very admirable. You're getting hyped up for these Olympics. What are your sort of highest expectations of what comes out of this? Not just the competition, but so many companies in the climbing media have, have like stacked all their chips on this thing. What what are your highest expectations? Do you think coming out of this thing, and uh, and for the competition yeah. itself, as your as, as a viewer and someone who's excited to see it? So for the industry, I remember talking to uh, somebody. I might have been Dave Hudson, who coaches at the First Ascent gyms. Although I don't want to put words in his mouth, I, I think it was him, but it was a while ago. But I think he used to coach gymnastics, if I remember. And he said that every every four years, like right after the Olympics, there would be a huge uptick in the amount of kids that would come through to his gymnastics school wanting to take lessons. And so I think that would be wonderful for the industry. The thing we've been hearing for, for a number of years, how do we grow the industry? How do we continue to grow the climbing industry, but in a positive way, right? Uh, getting like new stoked kids into the sport is is pretty darn great 
as good as you can get. And so I think I think we will see that. I think we probably on a more specific level, I think we'll see an increased interest in speed climbing because it's got the, this huge platform of the Olympics. I think a lot of people will watch it and maybe want to go try, try it at their local gym. And in terms of what I hope for the to see at the Olympics, I mean, I you know, I it'd be great. They they like I said before, Team USA has had the best start to the World Cup season ever. Yet uh so far they've got like I think it's 15 medals or something at the time of this recording and prior to this the most they ever had in a season was in 1992 i think they had 10 or 11 medals um so they have way more than they've ever had before and the world cup season is still going going on we're only halfway done it would be so great if an olympic a great olympic performance from an american or from multiple americans would complement that world cup success right that it seems like that would just sort of be salt and pepper kind of coming together right so um so that'd be that'd be awesome i'd love to see it John Long's life is bigger and stranger than any adventure you've ever heard, which is why after all these years, he manages to keep pumping out amazing tales that keep us at the edges of our seats. His latest book is Icarus Syndrome, and it leads with one of the craziest climbing stories I've ever heard. Take a listen. Icarus Syndrome by John Long Nine more hours to Heathrow. She was the only person sitting in first class, coiled in a window seat. I glimpsed her coming out of the bathroom stall up front, behind the pilot's cabin. When I paused in the aisle and she glanced over with her rowdy green eyes, I knew that was her. Which was impossible, because she was dead. If you want to hear the rest of this chapter, including the moment where Largo comes up against one of the most harrowing life-or-death decisions you can imagine, join us on Patreon. For as little as $5.14 a month, you'll get access to bonus episodes like this, as well as far less heavy ones where Chris and I just rant about stupid shit. This is the best way to show your support for the show, so head over to patreon.com slash runoutpodcast and become a rope gun today. Today's final bit is brought to us by Harvey Wright. Harvey is a musician, climber, and hairdresser from Vancouver, British Columbia, who is featured in the film Crux, which is making its way around festivals this summer. He records with the band Ponytails, who can be found on Spotify. Hello out there. This is a song that my good friend Johnny Payne wrote called Be Kind to Yourself. He sent it to me a couple years ago, a time when I really needed to hear it. And we ended up using it as the song in the credits for the movie Crux. I'm very happy to play it for you today. Here we go. One, two...
pick up the crumbs like pigeons let loose in a zoo. Surely by now you'd be doing better. Someone really did something to Some galloping ruler meddling in foreign affairs where it doesn't belong. Surely by now you'd be doing better, <sighs> but you just keep carrying on. just completed another episode of The Runout, a podcast from the sharp end of climbing. I'm Andrew Bisharat, and I run Evening Sends, the only climbing website on the internet. And I'm Chris Calouse, host of the Enormacast, the only other climbing podcast. Please leave a review of our show on iTunes, share an episode with your friends, and follow us on social media. We should be fairly easy to find. Drop us a line, let us know what you think. My email is andrew at runoutpodcast.com. And my email is chris at runoutpodcast.com. And also, please support our show. Go to patreon.com slash runoutpodcast and become a rope gun today. Mm-hmm.